Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This episode of the Pack Filler Podcast brought to you by our friends over at Gooder. Gooder. G-O-O-D-er. Kind of like Tigger, but Gooder. It's not good, they're Gooder. Am I wearing out the name of the company yet? Is it one of those things where you say it too many times where it starts to lose all its meaning? I hope not. If you haven't checked out Gooder.com, go over and look at everything. You guys, great eyewear and really good affordable prices. In fact, the most recent ones that I just bought for my son. He knows they're coming. It's not a secret of a Christmas present. They are titled Happy Festivus, You Filthy Animals. And if you don't understand the meaning behind that, you are definitely not behind the spirit of the season. Or, you know, you might not celebrate Christmas. It might be your thing. I don't know. It might be your, you know, sorry. They also have Hanukkah ones, I guess, which is actually pretty cool. They're pretty funny. The Hanukkah's not funny. Oh, my God. I'm screwing this hat up. Gooder.com. Go check out what they have. Podcast. Awkward. Nobody around to make fun of the podcast theme. So lonely. Actually, I'm not. It's it's kind of okay. Glassware is intact. I'm not hurting cats tonight. Welcome to another episode of the Pack Filler Podcast. All things cycling. My friend John Galloway, who said on Twitter the other day, we need more cycling-based podcasts. I'm pretty sure he was tongue-in-cheek because anybody who's ever straddled a top tube is pretty much doing one nowadays. But you know what, damn it. I've been doing this since 1999. I shit you not, 1999. You think I'd be better at it by now. But I'm pacing myself, Sergeant. I'm really going to come through in the final few episodes of this career. That's how I see it happening. How's it going? Oh. 
got through Thanksgiving, which is always an, an experiment within itself. I don't think I got too much fatter over Thanksgiving. My workout schedule is pretty crap, but I am I am fully prepared. I am embracing the next season, and I am starting now, which is a little early for me. So it could be good things, could be good results. I came to some some kind of coming to Jesus moments over the past couple weeks. Several be, actually aired out over this podcast. One is that I need to really focus on the intensity stuff. This years of base mileage theory are over. You don't need to just sit on your bike for five, six, seven hours and do that all winter and then start with your, your fitness come spring. That's just going to make your ass sore. Uh, so I think what I'm going to try this year is a lot more of the intensity. I'm going to back off a little bit because I, I did back off a little bit. And so I think I'm going to kind of kick start it a little bit earlier this year and just kind of work my way into it a little bit more, a little bit more intense, but much more focused, if you know what I mean. Not as frequent, but more focused. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And I'm going to try and build that up and see how that happens. And a couple of weeks ago, we had a guy on the show here representing a local athletic club and I'm going to go give them a shot next week and we're going to see how actually going into some classes. I haven't taken classes in a long time. You get to that age where you start to think that you know what the hell you're doing and and the irony is that you know I, I seem to think I know what I'm doing but I, for example I'm going to talk to a great professional tonight who had a coach a very good portion of his career and also probably was still taking advice up until the time he just announced his retirement. So I think maybe I should just probably step off that soapbox a little bit and get out there and experience some workouts with some people who have new and innovative methods and maybe that can you know reinvigorate some of the things that will happen over the next year. I know you, you probably don't care about me. You're wondering, Pat, why are you talking just about you? Well, it's my podcast, so shut up. I mean, this is what I get to do. This is why people podcast, because nobody else will listen to them. So they have nothing to do except talk into a microphone on a recording device in a very cold basement with minimal windows. Sorry, I blacked out there. Did I say something out loud? Oh, well. Today's podcast is definitely a great discussion with somebody who I was very proud to have um, not only had the opportunity to speak with, but especially the timeliness of this conversation. Steve Cummings, you guys probably know of him as a Dimension Data writer. He rode for um, MTN Quebec. He rode for uh, Sky. He rode for BMC. Um, Multiple-time national champion, multiple stage winners in multiple grand tours, and how many times can I say multiple? Uh, Really, really classy guy who hit some some hard luck in terms of some crashes, but I can't wait for you to hear his perspective on his career, his perspective on those setbacks, and maybe that can provide us with a little bit of insight into what maybe the rest of us need to do and quit taking ourselves so, not, not seriously, but I don't know, I'll let you be the judge. It was a great conversation, and without further ado, Steve Cummings on the Packfiller Podcast. Before I get to that, hey, you guys, Fit for Hope, go check them out, fitforhope.com. Plan your season accordingly. Steve Cummings on the Packfiller Podcast.
Today's guest can boast some pretty impressive wins. He's had an Olympic silver medal, multiple national championships, as well as stage wins in multiple, and that's an understatement, Grand Tours. His attacking style was truly a beautiful thing to watch for me personally, and with his recent decision to retire from cycling will definitely have an impact on me and also on our listeners and on the sport. So let's welcome to the show Steve Cummings. How are you, sir? I'm really well. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, uh, before we even get rolling into this, we got to start obviously with the elephant in the room after at the top. After 11 years in the peloton, uh, you've come to a crossroads here. And I, as I said before, I even hit the recorder here. You you seem to be still re- rehabilitating from from injuries. But uh, what were some of the factors besides that that prompted your decision to kind of call it a quits and end your racing career? Well, in the end, it was a decision taken out of my hands because uh, the opportunities dried up. Um, unfortunately um but you know i'm pretty philosophical about the whole thing i'm really grateful and i feel really privileged to have had such a long career it's actually 15 not 11 15 11, years in the pro peloton um but i'm really privileged to have like lived my dream and um yeah i mean the end it wasn't ideal um but it it was like when it was ideal was kind of the best moments of my career and I had much yeah. more times of adversity than um, things being ideal so I think that's just something you learn to live with and a lesson I've learned from cycling has definitely stood me in good stead to deal with this now in a positive way. Is there any type of a withdrawal being that this is such a demanding profession that it is probably a single solitary focus for so long you said 15 careers sorry about my mistake there um what is it like knowing you no longer have to keep that intensity up? Um, yeah, it's a big, it's a big thing, but it's it's a natural. It's been a natural transition. I started studying a few years ago, like, uh, well, eighteen months ago, and that's given me a different focus. I'm, I'm also like well aware that you can't go on forever. Yeah. Um, so I knew it was coming, um, but still, it is a shock, and especially. Like I say, it's not ideal having um, an injured back now because I would probably still be riding my bike. Um, but this has kind of forced me to do nothing. I mean, I have, I did ride on Swift quite a lot initially, but when I went back to the hospital, I understood that maybe it's better not to do anything and just get my health right first, and then I can get back on the bike. But definitely, it's a big challenge because, like you say, it's such a, a huge change to your daily routine. But you know, thank God that um, I've got studying and family and other things around me to uh, help me through. What are you studying? I'm, uh, yeah, well, I, I was tricky when I was deciding what to study. I just, I got the urge like maybe two years, three years ago that I just wanted to exercise, get my brain going a little bit more. And I just wanted basically to learn how to learn again and just make sure I was open and flexible and I could communicate better. I could transfer some of the experiences I'd had through my career in a positive way and like facilitate thought processes amongst potentially other riders or other people. So I decided to study business and sport management. It wasn't really so much a topic. It was more just studying something like learning how to learn again. And um, it's been really good. I really enjoyed it. So. So it's been a good topic to choose, actually, because it's very relevant. Well, I could imagine it would be a pretty quick transition. I don't, I don't mean to speak for you, but 
cycling is a sport that requires so much, for lack of a better term, improvisational thinking and and being able to shift on the on demand and and the flow of a race and goes like that. And it just seems like that's a natural progression for people who are for lack of a better term, lifelong learners. And you just seem like you're kind of evolving, just taking what cycling does and moving it into a next mental shift, if you will. Yeah, I definitely think um, like I'm looking at this more and more, you know, you're stuck in a bubble really. Um, and you look very much inward just because you don't really have time to look outward. And just having this little period now, I've been able to really look outwards and go to go around other sports and other go through my phone book and contacts and visit other people and, and have a look at uh, business things. And then you start to draw parallels and see that a lot of the skills that you learn through the bike um, are transferable to other sectors in life. And um, I'm trying to utilize that really going forward. I'm not sure exactly what in what way, but um, I'm certainly working on exploring many options. You know, it's quite an exciting uh, time. You mentioned looking inwards and being inside that bubble. Have you had time to reflect on your career and your thoughts on the way you raced and the way it all went down? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, that. again, that's sort of something you do. I did anyway on an annual or monthly basis, you know, and when you have, you set yourself a goal and you you aim for that. And it, if it goes well, great, You but you still go through that process of um assessing what went right what went wrong and how you can make it better the next time but overall i'm really happy with my career i it's a difficult system um to to work in especially the way i wanted to to race you know in the end it's a strange sport because uh, it's a sport it's a team sport but it's a team sport for an individual and as far as i'm aware that's kind of unique um most sports other team sports are just about the team and the team wins but in cycling it's very much individuals win so um but often you need the team to help that so trying to find my my way and get a balance in that because i felt like i got my best results and my best performances and i could bring myself to my best level when i was like really empowered and that that to me meant sort of chasing my own success i always wanted to do my work for the team when it was possible um but at the same time i didn't want to risk my life and crash out and waste all my own hopes of um so, like I said, it was always try, trying to find the balance. Well, you mentioned that racing style. It was definitely did not fit a mold in terms of tactics or categorization. I mean, some people say they have a very special, you know, special category. I guess they could fit into. Um, did you intentionally go about it that way to be that unpredictable or that type of a style? And and if so, you know, what decisions were made in terms of the days and races you would go for the win as opposed to other ones? Okay, yeah, I was really motivated to, to win, and, to, and well, not really to win. It was about personal excellence for me. That's that's winning came later, and I was always trying to be better as a, a, an athlete and as a person. And um, I realised I wasn't a good sprinter. <laughs> <laughs> I realised I wasn't the best climber, and I realised the only way I could win was from a breakaway. So I tried to make myself as strong, as lean, as fit. Oh, something's coming through on the computer. Now make this possible and, and just look into all the little details. It's the, you know, like the theory of British cycling, all these little marginal gains and just maximize every aspect I could to give myself um, as many opportunities. Um, and the, the fitter and the stronger and the, the leaner I got, 
the, the more opportunities you had. So I used to target the stages that were kind of like grey. You couldn't, no one could really pick a winner. It would be like, this isn't going to be a sprint. This isn't going to be for the GC riders. There will be some sort of, the GC will affect the stage, but if the right breakaway goes, it will go to the finish because nobody will, will chase behind. So those were the, the stages I used to pick out. And typically you're talking um, like, plus two and a half thousand meters, 3,000 meters climbing up, up to sort of 4,000 meters. And obviously, I mean, it depends how those climbs fall and where they fall in the race, but that, that was kind of where, where I saw my strengths, really. Wow. To be able to have that self-awareness and, and knowledge of your skill set has to obviously come over a, a good amount of time, but some clarity and some understanding. You talk about being constantly as lean and as fit as possible. How difficult has it been to maintain that top level of fitness and, and physical form, both mental and physical? Yeah, going back to what we said before a little bit about empowerment, when I felt yeah. I had, um, when I felt a little bit like I had the freedom and um, and the support of the team, I felt it was much easier. Um, it was kind of like a situation you were jumping out of bed and you knew exactly why you were going somewhere, what you were doing. And that brought me to a new level when things weren't always that way and, and sometimes that's just the nature of cycling because there's you know there's 28 riders in a team and you can't keep everyone happy sometimes you i found myself like subconsciously no matter how hard i tried going through the motions but i was still motivated but just without the same jumping out of bed you know i was kind of i'd, I'd go out of bed i'd go through the motions i'd do the training but it wasn't the same i needed that x factor which i think came mentally and when things, when the plan and everything was good and I had a clear vision of where I was going, it was pretty straightforward. Um, for sure, it's hard and it's probably harder on my family than it was for me. But um, when, when those, when I didn't have that clear vision and I was a little bit murky and it was a bit like, well, why are we doing this? It doesn't really make sense. That's those are the periods where I really struggled and um, I just tried to get through those periods without causing too much chaos. <laughs> Were there were there certain teams that facilitated that X factor better than others? Uh, definitely, yeah. That's that's what I kind of like. Like we we've already spoken about. It's yeah. kind of unique. It's not. Um, it's not. Cycling's very. We got a sprint in this stage. You see yeah. sprinters. We got you know GC. So it was it was really hard to find that, and I was kind of searching that for that all my career really. And I guess the place I probably found it the most was MTM Quebec the first year. In 2015, I was lucky enough to get selected and eventually win a stage in the tour. But that was probably the first year where we were. The, year, the, the team was great, you know. I had a great um, philosophy of Quebecer um, was involved, and that was inspiring to me. Um, they wanted to put children on bicycles to help them get to school, which we we did a lot of work throughout the winter, which was an inspiration and um, certainly very humbling. And then also they wanted to develop African riders on the bike. So it felt like we were always underdogs. Wherever we went, we were underdogs. And that was a great position to be in because it allowed us to race in sort of a free manner. And anything we did was was great. You know, I mean, I've been in teams where it's on the up curve like that. And for me, that, that was always the best moment when you're on the up. It's like when you get to the top, it's really hard to... Um, to stay because it's almost like you can't win anymore. All you can do is kind of fail. So uh, I enjoyed 2015 a lot. Well, that was a gigantic. And, that was a gigantic year. That, that go ahead. Sorry. 
and then 16 as well you know off the back of that that was that was my best year um yeah. and yeah i mean again it was about that kind of freedom we were it, the team was still pretty good then we um I was loving life, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Those were two huge years. I mean, especially we could talk about that day in 2015, Mandela Day, racing for MTN Quebec, uh, the, the tour for crying out loud. Um, I know there's some great moments in your career, but that one had to be pretty special. Um, and I can only imagine what that day was like. But could you take us through and what kind of pressures there might have been within the team and, and especially the reaction upon winning that day? Yeah, I think uh, 15, there wasn't a huge expectation. First of all, we were the team was delighted. You know, it was the first African team in the Tour de France. So that was already great. And then it just seemed like every day the strategy was really good. We had we seemed to have somebody in the breakaway or so, someone in the top 10 or getting close to the top 10 and performing really well, which for most teams isn't, you know, it's nothing special. But for us, because, because it was a new team and a new project, everything was great. And... You, you could look, it was like a momentum built and you could look at your teammates and you know, think, oh, he was fifth and he was sixth and he was seventh. Yeah. Oh, I can do that, you know, and it kind of pushed, pushed, pushed. And then um, eventually it, it finished on sort of man. Well, Mandela. Sort of, um, and yeah, it was a wonderful day. So much significance for the team and for the project, and for me personally, it was like a real breakthrough, a real defining moment. What made sort of all the sacrifices I'd done and my family had done sort of worthwhile because Steve, I'm losing you if you're moving around. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. No, no, I'm not moving. I'm not moving. Oh, okay, so, we we're just sorry. no, we were just losing that little signal there. I was, I was, I was, you we were kind of garbling in and out. Not a big deal. You know, technology isn't ex- everything we'd expect. But, <laughs> um, so sorry. what? Just one I might have lost there. But you were saying that the team was pretty open to all that side of stuff. But, but you got to admit, Mandela Day, and everybody's probably kind of looking at each other at the breakfast table, going, "This could be a pretty special day." No, I, that, no doubt it was a huge day um, for the project and for the team and for what the team was about, what the team stood for. And um, yeah, for me personally, it was huge because it was a career-defining moment. Uh, yeah. Winning a stage in the tour was definitely one of my dreams. And at that day, I got to live my dream. And it was also very satis- satisfying, like um, giving the team that victory because I think the team really deserved it. It was a wonderful 
team of staff we had in the background and um yeah it's a great project to be part of and the and the reaction was probably pretty ecstatic i can imagine just to kind of a throw out a stupid question there yeah i was like uh for 48 <laughs> hours i was like my head was in the clouds you know i was like disconnected and I, I didn't really feel my legs in the for the few days after i was just riding but i think it was a testament to the shape that I'd got myself in and with the help of the team um, to get me there as well. Because actually the first 10 days of the tour, I didn't feel so good. But the last week I was just flying, like riding high. So it was really, really special. So then you also mentioned 2016, uh, Tour Britain, obviously a gigantic uh, win there as were, uh, you know, multiple stages in the tour over your careers, not to mention two national titles in 2017. Um, not to get all teary-eyed, but if you had to pick one or or specific events such as those, which ones would be the more memorable and special? I think uh, overall I was really proud of 2016 because I started the season and I won in March, I won in April, I won in, I had May off, <laughs> I won in June, I won in July at the wow. tour, and then I won the tour written and so basically I was good from the start of the season to the end of the season which is what I always sort of was striving for and um, also I was winning you know it's world tour races so if you I, I just put that there's loads of like also psychological things you had to deal with um, 2015 we were underdogs 2016 I would say I was very much in everyone's minds when it came to those breakaway stages but I had such good form and brought myself to such a high level that I felt it was a matter of time before I won. But still, you have to deal with that and you have to, you still have to deliver. And I was able to do that. And I'm um, very proud of that whole period, really. It was a, it was kind of like an accumulation of the journey I'd been on because, it, you know, you go through all difficult moments and that was sort of my perfect season almost until I crashed at the end, but that was, that was fine. You know, it was, it was a really good, I had to pick that season. You mentioned the crashes, uh, brutal part of the, of the sport and uh, you got hit with it quite a few times. Um, how difficult is it to continually come back from injury when you just get things going and then all of a sudden something knocks you back down? Yeah. Um, I mentioned before about processes and, yeah. um, goal setting and stuff like that and it's the same thing dealing with injury illness adversity it's the same kind of process it's almost like you grieve but in the end you you know you you're just kind of pissed off or you're angry um for a short for a you try to make that as short as possible and you just you, you sort of that's a natural process so you have to kind of be not too hard on yourself because that's what human beings do but then you have to try and turn it around as quickly as possible into a positive thing and replan and understand where you are and how long it's going to take you to get back and then just maximize every day. And that just became a natural <laughs> process, really. It's okay. You, you land on the floor and you go to the hospital. And it's like, okay, what we got broken elbow. Okay. How long, how long do I have to stay still? Might be two days. Do I need a surgery? No. Okay. Can you ride in the trainer? And then you sort of find a solution to get back on the trainer as quick, quick as possible. And that was my way. Um, I didn't spend too much time feeling sorry for myself. I just kind of got on with it and, and always tried to find a solution to get me on the bike as quick as possible. I mean, once I was strapped, I broke a collarbone, sternum and 
scapula. I had the collarbone uh, plate put in the collarbone, and then I was riding on the train. I was, I was. We made a like a elastic band from the roof of my shed, and I was strapped to that because I couldn't put any weight through the shoulder. So he strapped me through my chest so I could ride the bike. The, the elastic would take the weight, so I was just basically riding. And then um, I fell again. I needed another surgery, um, and that sort of hit me hard. But I managed to just deal with it in the same way. Um, and then by the time you come to your end of your career and my back's broken, it was just the same thing. It was just, okay, what we got, how long do you have to stay still for? And you just sort of, you have to deal with it and not try not to let yourself get down. Of course, sometimes you do, but that's, that's you know, so you just deal with it. You've got a mentality unlike a lot of other people do, especially I'm thinking personally, I'm sitting here complaining that it might be too cold to go out and ride and you're just you're dealing with these blows left and right and just going, all right, let's just keep going about it. Um, it to be able to look at it from that perspective obviously is what got you this far along. Were there any people who were instrumental in keeping you going, either teammates or other riders within the Peloton or family members that just you were able to really rely upon? Um, yeah, I kind of, I had a lot of help initially with uh, through British Cycling, going yeah. going way, way back till, to, I don't know, 2000. 2003, I was on kicked up the pro the track. I wasn't really committed. I was um, drinking a bit, <laughs> too much of a good time, and not really committing to the training. And then Dave Brailsford came into power. Uh, his performance that along, I worked. I had to call every Monday. That was that was. Uh, that I'd stay on the program. I spoke to him every Monday. That kind of um, reaction. I worked a lot with the sports psychologist, Steve. Oh, I love Skype. He sort of gave you know, he gives me the and I went about Steve, I lost you again. I call us me. open the door and oh, I lost you. Yeah, are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Oh, I don't know why the signals. <laughs> no, it's, sorry. It could be on my end. Don't worry about it. I heard. Do you want me to go, you want me to go back? Yeah, I heard I heard Sir yeah. Dave Brailsford and then I kinda lost you after I did hear that you were having a little too much fun along the way and um enjoying uh some other things throughout that process, which I completely connect with. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was having a bit too much fun and then um they were gonna put me out of the program, the track program, which probably would have been the end of my career, but um Dave said it, we had an agreement and I'd call him every Monday. And that ignited, um, you know, it was like a second chance. And he was almost like a big brother to me. Uh, I'd call him every Monday. I'd have a chat with him. And he'd, he'd just point me in the right direction all the time. And then I started work with Steve Peters. And um, he was also instrumental in the way, my, the, helping me change my mindset into, I don't know, into, I don't know, I always tried to, tried to be a warrior, you know, um, and it's a work in progress. We keep keep working and we keep trying to be better. 
other people that were fundamental in the process. I'd probably say there was a doctor, Roger Palfreyman. Um, he, he's always been there for me since I was a young guy, and uh, I've always relied and called on him for so many, so many, so, so many issues, um, personal issues and family issues, and he always picks up the phone and he always gives me good advice about medical issues um, when you're injured, when you're sick, when your family's injured, when your family's sick, and he's just been like a rock for me so I'd say those were the three people also one more was Keith Boardman the father of Chris I met him when I was um, I met him I think I was working with him when I was 12 years old and um, also he has a a really super super mentality and I took a lot from him and I still in contact we still talk and we still meet uh, if I ever won a big race, I'd always call Keith because that, that was, that's just how it is. He's friend for life, if you, if yeah. you like. So yeah. I, had, I was very lucky, very privileged to have those people around. Were there any any specific riders you preferred to be with or socialize with or even heck, did, were there any training partners or, or was your training done kind of on a solo basis? Um, I trained more or less always alone i mean there were times where i did train with people uh, i like training with Geraint thomas i like the person as well like socially off the bike yeah. very good person um brad i can still keep in touch with brad cav and we didn't train too much together well we did but not uh <laughs> we did and we didn't it's a kind of a love hate thing but well, in the end we love so it's all right <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, just I, I guess the British lads who you can really associate to, but outside, there's also some foreign lads as well who I train with, like Dan Marioni. I moved to Italy and I trained with him for maybe two seasons, but if I'm honest, I did more than the majority on my own, probably. How has the reaction been since your announcement of, of retirement? I've heard, a, I've seen a lot of it online. I've seen a lot of, uh, you know, you mentioned Garrett and you mentioned Cav and stuff like that, obviously uh, reaching out and saying some things to that. Um, did you expect this type of a reaction or did you hope it to be bigger or quieter? Um, I'm a kind of quiet guy, really. I avoid the media. I'm not, I've never been super com- uh, comfortable in the spotlight, but um I wanted to go away quietly, like really quietly, like not say anything to anyone. But then I kind of realized that wasn't maybe so smart because if I wanted to continue working in cycling or in sport, it was maybe wise that I announced I was retiring. Um, And also to the supporters, you know, to to just the supporters, they've always been super with me and I've had a good good crowd follow me and, 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 yeah, always give me positive um feedback so i wanted to it was my way to sort of thank them and 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 hopefully we continue to the next chapter if you like um but yeah it's been really overwhelming or i wasn't expecting the reaction i've had um and i've been blown away very humbly (laughs) 
So as this as the sport continues and things like that, are what are your thoughts on the evolution of cycling over the path over the path of your career, and where do you think the sport is heading? Are there riders? Are there teams? Are there styles of events that you see maybe um, coming to fruition? I know we've been, you know, a lot of things that come out in this in this show are things about the evolution of the sport. For example, there are gravel sections being thrown into massive tour stages. Um, some riders are are shifting their focuses. Um, where, where where do you see anything going? Um, it's hard to, like you say, gravel racing seems to be kicking off. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's a d- difficult question. Yeah, I mean, we always evolve, don't we? We try and evolve as humans, and um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Hopefully, I think the sport's in a good way. I think I think it's a great sport. Um, it's full of. <laughs> Uh, the whole peloton is um, amazing, really, because all the riders have been through through adversity to get where they are, and that's something I always respected. And also, I think probably it's a good time to get out because there's so many young young riders coming through. You know, you I, I think of like Remco, I think of Van der Poel. Yeah. Um, so many, too many to name, but they're all so good, so young. I think that's maybe. Um, uh, sports science has worked its way down, and I think traditionalists and people who have been in the sport a long time, if they, if you don't if you don't keep up with the innovation, keep trying to be better, and keep trying to find new ways of training, and keep trying new methods and new I don't know nutritional strategies or whatever it may be, remaining open to new ideas, then I think you're going to get left behind pretty quick. So um, it's kind of refreshing, I think, for the sport. I like that. I'm kind of hoping as well. I'm kind of hoping as well. Uh, women's cycling really grows as well. I would like to see to see um, that really develop, and I hope so. Well, that's an interesting topic to bring up because that's something that's obviously a hot button issue across the sport. Um, do you see yourself becoming involved in something such as that, or do you see yourself working with a, a specific, you know, pro level team or individual athletes? I mean, I'm sure it's hard to kind of pick a career path. You're just still trying to, heaven forbid, heal. So, <laughs> is there something you, yeah. a dream setup you would see in the future? No, like I say, I'm, I'm trying to look outwards a little bit, and yeah. um, I think that will help me when I come back and look, you know, come back. So I think looking outwards will help me bring new things, hopefully, new ideas to cycling, and that's what I'm trying to do. And um, the, the great thing about women's cycling is um, it's kind of relatively fresh and new, and there's a lot of space for development and progression. So it would be exciting to work in that sport and um, I'm open and flexible to to try new things like you say I'm not I haven't got a certain career path um, so at the moment I'm just open to explore many many ideas and uh, you know busy working hard trying to improve my myself you know professional yeah. development get my degree and all that kind of stuff yeah so this is probably a cheesy question, but I have to throw it out there because I get listeners who are asking these types of things. Um, if upon reflection, if you could do it all over again, would you do anything differently? Oh yeah, loads of stuff. <laughs> I think <laughs> like, I've made so many mistakes, but uh, I think that's part of the process. That's, I think uh, if someone finishes the career and says oh, I didn't make a mistake, then I think they're lying. But um, <laughs> yeah, I made I made lots of mistakes, and that that's. 
that's the beauty of it. But, you know, they were my mistakes and I was strong enough to make my own. I, I would always take advice, but ultimately I'd try to make my own decisions when and where I could. And that's kind of what defined me, I think. And I'm really proud of that, really. And, yeah, got okay. no regrets. Oh, that's that's awesome. Um, so here it is. Um, you've you know you've decided to to move on to the next phase, and um, I I can't bring it up without saying there are guilty pleasures involved in retirement. So um, you know you mentioned it early in your career there were some things you tended to enjoy a little bit too much. Is there um, any guilty pleasures you're now enjoying? Are you a beer drinker, a food chef, a guy who's sweet tooth or sleeping in late or something like that? Is there something you just Oh my God! I can do this now. Um, no, not really. I'm, um, no, I think you know, with time, fifteen years is a long time. So yeah. probably twenty-five years on the bike. So what I was doing at twenty-one, I'm not going to be doing when I'm thirty-eight. You know, so <laughs> I, I'm, I very much learned learned through my career, um, like moderation, and I, I still, you know, the, the bike's given me um, a real great sort of start in life if you like um but better than start really um and now i just have to respect that and just look after myself and enjoy every day and just keep keep going keep keep striving to be better see that's why you were fast you were you were you took that stuff in moderation i my career started going downhill when i found out that the taste of beer was was something that i really enjoyed and um that that didn't help much you've still got the discipline about you which means you're fast i probably sound a bit i, I, I don't want to be i, I want to be really I, i'm not like a square guy you know I'm, <laughs> i moderate moderation as well so sometimes you have to get blind drunk it's necessary so i'm, I'm fully aware of that you know <laughs> sometimes it happens. If, it has, if it happens it has to happen that's what they told me <laughs> oh man well right on well uh, steve first of all I, and again i keep throwing out this i don't mean to be cheesy but you know Dude, thank you for your career and the animation you brought to the sport that I love, and and it was it was always exciting to see you come to the front because I knew it was going to be an animated day, and um, that's that's something that those I th- I think of the sport as not only an athletic endeavor but something with characters, and we follow along people's stories as as fans of the sport, and you were always one that made the race animated and um, that was such a special thing for us. And I, I don't want to embarrass you or anything like that, but I, that was such a great thing that you brought to this sport that I love. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. I hope I didn't harp on too much. <laughs> and uh, thanks for all your support and the platform and everything else over the years. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure. Well, man, heal quickly. And I can't wait to see where you take this. Okay, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks. You know, it's kind of funny after I I finished that interview with Steve, I was asking him, hey, do you want me to send you a link? Do you want anything like that? And he said, oh, yeah, definitely I do. He says, I can't stand my own voice. Uh, So my wife and my family will probably listen to it, but I I don't want to listen to my own voice. And I know that feeling. I really do. Uh, But what a cool guy. And I, I can probably kiss his ass a little bit more right now because he's he's not going to listen to this show. But what a cool guy. And um, I, I loved his style of racing. It was 100% or conserve in weight. And it was always fireworks when you saw Steve Cummings at the front of the peloton. And what a dude that will be missed in the racing world. I don't think he's out of the racing world. I don't know what you think. 
But I think somebody's going to grab this guy and they're going to use him in some form of coaching, of race tactics, of motivational speaking, anything it might be. I think this guy's got a future. And when I first saw him on Skype today, the dude had a neck brace on. Uh, just to, to kind of give you guys a perspective of what's going on in his life. He's been hit hard. He's been hit down, but he has still such a positive outlook towards it. And I think that's something we can all learn from. I don't know about you, but especially me. Um, so great talk with him. You guys, that sums up another episode of the Pack Filler. Next week, we've got the regulars back in the studio. We might even have a few new guests in the studio. Keep subscribing to the podcast. Keep following us on Mixler.com. I love that several of you were asking why this very episode was not broadcast live on Mixler. I had to talk to Steve Stock. (laughs) I had to talk to Steve earlier in the week last week, mainly because of his scheduling scenario and of course the time gap in terms of me being in the States and him being over in Europe. And uh, we just pre-recorded that and then I just released it on the regular release date. So sometimes these episodes are going to come like that to you. But thank you guys on Mixler for saying, hey, what the hell, where are you guys? And keep doing that. I will try to make sure that the announcement for the nights that we do not go live are pre-announced. I think I tried to do that earlier today. Some of you might not have seen it, and that's my bad. Actually, it's not my bad. It was out there. It's your bad. Keep subscribing to the podcast. Keep following us on Twitter. What the hell? Spotify, Stitcher. We're on all the platforms, and we're on all the social media platforms. If you want to follow us, follow us. Uh, Keep the conversation going, and let us know who you'd like to hear from. Until next week. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.